isn't it? You know, I laugh sometimes when I see people get up um, after something amazing's happened, and they say, I feel so humbled, when really I think the word that they're reaching for is honored, not humbled. You know, sometimes, usually when you're humbled, something bad's happened, and you feel like you've come down. But when I hear something like that, I feel honored. I'm like, Lord, who are we that you look out for us like that? Who are we that you bestow such great gifts he does. I, I don't understand it, but, but he does, and he really cares about us, and he really does hear our prayers, and he really does put us in families, and it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to reflect on this time of year. I, I just feel so honored to be in his family. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all you've done. Lord, we thank you for healing our brother Tito. Lord, we thank you for giving them peace and joy. We thank you for hearing us. We thank you for what you did more than 2,000 years ago, stepping down out of paradise into a war zone, stepping down in such humility and giving yourself so graciously. And we invite you now, Holy Spirit, to come and sit with us this morning as we reflect on what you've done. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Amen. I want to introduce you to two people this morning that you've only met just a little bit, if you're like me, Anna and Simeon. I want to first tell you about Simeon, and I hope that you will forgive me for using a little bit of imagination this morning. You have to use imagination when you approach the scripture sometimes because we have such limited information. So while the history is uh, accurate, um, some of the details might be imagination. You know, God gave us imagination, by the way. It's a good thing. <laughs> so when you think of Simeon, you need to picture an old man who's lost almost all of his hair. He's, uh, he's pale because he stays inside all the time. That's because he's, well, he's, he's a very old man. He's older than all of his friends, actually. They've all left. They've all gone. And he wishes he could go to them sometimes because it's been a hard life. And while he loves God and he trusts them, sometimes he says, Lord, will you take me now? And then he remembers the answer. He knows the answer even before he asks. And the answer is, not yet. Not till you've seen him. Simeon was, uh, um, he was born in Jerusalem. And he, he would go to the temple. Uh, he would go with his family because they were devout. And they would sit and they would listen to the teachers of the law as they shared their history. The sordid yet promising and beautiful, yet tragic history of Israel. And they would talk of the great kings. They would speak of David, the shepherd king who slayed giants, who chased Philistines, who established his reign in Jerusalem and to whom the Lord promised would be king forever. His descendants would go on and on on his throne. And they would talk of other great king Solomon, who, who wasn't great like his, like his father, great in a different way, great, great in wisdom, great in wealth, 
uh, he was a, an ambassador. He was great in building and architecture. You would hear of other kings, of Joash, of Hezekiah, of Josiah. And then he would hear of how all those dreams were dashed when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came in and put an end to the kingdom that was Israel. And he would hear that, and then he would put that next to the words of the prophets that the teachers would tell him. They would tell him of the words of Isaiah and Daniel and these men who promised that one day things would be restored, that one day things would be better, that one day all the brokenness around them would be be put back together because he was going to come. A man, a Messiah, a descendant of David, the new king was going to bring restoration. So Simeon grows up with these two conflicting things of the promise and the reality. After Nebuchadnezzar had come, there had been five, or, uh, 600 years almost of one kingdom after another. There had been Babylon. Then there had been Medo-Persia. And then there had been Alexander the Great and his Greeks. And then the, the Ptolemies from Egypt. And then the Seleucid Syrians. And, and, and then they had a brief window of, of nothing and hope. But then that hope was dashed when Rome came in. The promise and the reality. And as he reflects on these, as he grows up and, and marries and has children and continues to walk the way of the Lord and continues to visit the temple every single day, the Lord speaks to him. He bows his head in prayer one morning to say the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord. And he hears a whisper inside of a whisper inside of his head that says this, Simeon. He is coming, and you will see him. He holds on to that. Simeon, he is coming, and you will see him. Years go by, decades go by, and there's, there's word suddenly. There's a buzz around Jerusalem of a new king, of a king of the Jews that's to come, and he's going to make everything better, and his name is Herod. Well, they hold on to some hope that maybe this is him, but pretty soon they realize this isn't David. This isn't David. He's not, he's not chasing away our enemies like David did. In fact, he's kind of the opposite, actually. He's, well, he's a puppet of Rome. He's, he's doing everything to try to please Caesar. He's in his pocket. This Okay, he's not going to be David. Okay, it's not going to be him. But maybe he'll be Solomon. And Herod, like Solomon, starts building. And he builds a new temple. And he builds all kinds of beautiful things. And maybe this will be good. But the hopes slowly begin to be chipped away as they see what kind of man Herod really is. And Jerusalem recognizes this is not the one that was promised. Sorry, this is not him. It's not him. And unrest begins to grow in Jerusalem. And there begins to be whispers of revolts. And revolts actually spring up. 
and blood is shed. Rabbis are executed and building projects go on, become more magnificent. And Herod becomes more mad and starts killing people of his own family in jealous rages. And the building projects continue. And Simeon grows older and loses more hair. And he goes to the temple every day, continuing to believe the promise of the prophets and the promise of the whisper in his head, Simeon, he is coming and you will see him. The temple is finished. Pilgrims come and they say to him, we saw it from miles away. You must be so proud of your temple and your king. And Simeon says, he is not my king. And a few more years go by and he's all alone now. His wife has gone. His friends have gone ahead of him. And he says, Lord, I just want to go home. Not yet. Not till you've seen him. And one morning, as he's closing his eyes again to say the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. He hears a whisper, and he said, Simeon, he is here. And Simeon leaps to his feet. He leaps to his feet. He shouldn't be able to because he's old and got very weak knees. But he leaps to his feet and he shuffles outside of his door into the, the crowded, the, the narrow streets of Jerusalem. And he begins to look up and he looks high. And the, the, the temple is, is so, it's so high it was higher than before. And there's got to be more steps than there used to be. Thank you very much, Herod. But he goes after it anyway, and he tucks his head, and he starts pushing his way up. Excuse me, miss, excuse me. He's very polite, but that old man, he looks crazy. And he, he, he pushes his way through the opening in a, under an arch, and he stops, and he looks out. And he scans, and he scans, and, and it's a huge courtyard. Now it's so much bigger than when he was little. So much bigger, but it's pretty empty this morning. It's still early. There's only a few hundred people in there. Way down, way down. Everything else is, in, is, is, is like black and white. And he hears the voice and he sees him and the whisper says, there he is. And he runs like he hasn't run in 30 years. And he stops and he puts his arm around the mother and the father and they look, and at first they're nervous. Who is this creepy dude? <laughs> but he sees him, and he breaks down and weeps and says, It's him. It's him. It's him. Let's reflect on the words of Simeon as we hear this song.
even older than he was, and she could remember things almost no one else could remember. It's not because she was some prodigy, it was because she was one of the very few who were still alive to remember life before Pompeii entered Rome, or entered Jerusalem. Uh, she, too, would go as a child to the temple, uh, but the, the teachers of the law and the Sadducees were, were in much... Uh, a much better mood back then. They were much more hopeful. They were proud of their temple. They would say, this temple, this temple has withstood nearly 500 years and four empires. It still stands. It withstood the Persians. It withstood the Greeks and the Egyptians and the Syrians. And it still stands. And now all of those Overlords are gone and will be reestablished, and David's son shall sit on the throne. And she would smile and look forward to these days. Full of hope and optimism, she marries at what would be a young age now. She's 14, 15, or 16. She's young. She's, her husband is handsome, not in the Legolas way, but more of an Aragorn way. He's, Ruggedly handsome. <laughs> and they're happy. And life is, is good and it's so full of promise. And they live together. No children. They live together for seven years until they first hear of this man called Pompey and this rising empire to the west called Rome. And they hear legends of its strength. And Anna as a young woman looks around and maybe she doesn't know everything about politics and military and all of these things, but she knows one thing. She knows that Jerusalem cannot defend itself against a great army. They have only one thing in their favor. They have walls. And Pompey sees Jerusalem and he begins to lay siege. And at first, they hide within the walls of the city, but then Pompey sends his troops into the city, so they all flee into the temple behind the high walls of the temple. And they wait in there, and they pray for deliverance. And they're eating up the rations and, and, and praying. And what else can you do inside the courtyard of a temple while an army's on the outside? What else can you do but pray? Pompey realizes that he has a bit of a problem, that these walls are a bit of a problem. So he, 
he gets siege towers and he, he calls them all the way from the city of Tyre. That's 103 miles away from Jerusalem. He calls the siege towers. It takes weeks for them to get there, but he's patient. He's got nothing but time. And Anna's heart is sinking more and more as she sees what's about to come. And she sees that they will not be spared from this army. But they will not surrender. They will not give up the temple again. They've been through Babylon. They've been through Persia. They've been through Greece, Egypt, and Syria. And they will not let it happen again. So they do not surrender. And after months of the siege, Pompey breaks through. And his temples breach or his, his soldiers breach the temple wall and they slay 12,000 Jews in that day. We don't know if this is when Anna's husband died, but the timeline seems to match up very well. A young man cut down so early, leaving a widow who doesn't remarry. With so many men probably killed that day. There were probably a lot of widows who never remarried. And normally this would be a a difficult plight in this day and age without the protection of, uh, of a husband and, and land rights and all these things that didn't belong to, to widows. But you'd think Anna would be bitter and angry and destitute, but she does something very unexpected, actually. She marries the Lord. And day after day, instead of going home, instead of finding another husband, instead of living her life, she decides to, to dedicate it to the service of Yahweh and his temple. She goes back to the scene of the crime and she sits herself there and she prays. She prays for the redemption of her people. She knows this Yahweh She's heard stories since she was a little girl, and she understands something deep. She understands that, in a way, the entire nation has become like her, unprotected from the family. They become like a, like a widow or like an orphan outside of the family's protection. And the nation must be redeemed, must be brought back underneath his wing, the wing of the Father, the wing of Yahweh himself. And so she prays for the redemption of Israel for five years and then 10 years and then 20 years and then 30 years, stationing herself in the temple where she watched so many of her countrymen die. And she prays on, come, Lord, come. And you'd think she'd be angry, but she, she's not. She's full of peace, this Anna. In fact, when she prays, you see a hint of a smile on her lips. And as the years go by, her prayers become renowned. People know there's, there's old Anna. Listen to what she has to say because if you're lucky, she might come and whisper a prayer in your ear and it's gonna cut you to the quick because she has a way, I swear she has a way of knowing things about people. And they give her a name. They call her a prophetess, something they haven't called anyone in centuries. And the priests 
know her, and the beggars in the gates of the temple know her, and the pilgrims who come maybe once a year, maybe once every five years, remember her, and they look forward to seeing old Anna. Is she still going to be alive, Mommy? I don't know if she'll ever die, dear. And old Anna is there and she sees the rise to power of this new king called Herod. And she says, Lord, this isn't it. This isn't it. Lord, send your one. Send your Messiah. Redeem our people. This isn't the one. And he builds onto the temple as Herod. He makes that courtyard Massive. He, he it expands that temple mount, and now he's made it something that no one's ever seen before. It's so big. Hundreds of yards in all directions. It's huge. It's magnificent. People love it. People are so proud of it. She stays in the, the court of the women. She can't go all the way in, of course. And she prays. And she closes her eyes one day, and she sees a picture of a little baby and two parents, and she knows in her heart, this is the one, this is the one, this is the one. She catches rumors one morning, rumors, she sees these men from the hills that come in and are so excited and they're telling this crazy story and everyone writes them off as being drunk or being hillbillies or something. And the story doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but there's something in the fervor which they give the story that she says, this is him. They say a new king has been born in Bethlehem of all places. And Anna starts doing math in her head. How many days, how many days before his mother has gone through the, the, the ritual days of, uh, of her impurity and comes and dedicates the child? And, and she begins counting days and weeks. And, and, and she's, it should be about 40 days. And the last night before, she, she stays at the temple because she can't even sleep. Now, she has all through the night prayer times all the time at the temple, so it's no big deal to her. 84 years old, ah, who needs food, who needs sleep? We're all good. She definitely can't sleep that night. And as the first rays of the sun come over the, the, the eastern hills, she looks, she looks, she looks, and she sees three people, no, four, counting the little one. So there, there's that old man I've seen before, Simeon. And, the, who? and she gets closer, and the old man's crying, and she sees the woman's face, and it's the one she saw. It's the one she saw. And she runs to them and embraces all of them. And she says, he is here. He is here. He is here. And she gives thanks to the Lord because he is here. The communion elements are going to come around as we listen to this next song. i 
years later, one night, surrounded by his closest friends, Jesus took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. And that word thanks is a word eucharisto, eucharisteo, actually, eucharisteo. I know we're in a more relaxed church than our more orthodox brethren who refer to the Lord's Supper not as communion but as the Eucharist. But it's a beautiful word of thanksgiving and it's full of grace. That's what we do. We take the Eucharist. We say, thank you. Thank you. And it's so appropriate because Anna gave thanks too. She gave thanks even though she only saw the first rays of sunlight. See, she didn't get to stick around long enough to see the redemption of Israel. All she saw was the beginning of the promise being fulfilled. I want us to take a lesson from Anna and Simeon. They believed God, and they gave thanks before they saw the fulfillment of God's promise. Each and every one of us here have heard the promises of the Lord, have read the promises of the Lord, and we're waiting for their fulfillment. We're waiting for the breakthrough in our family. We're waiting for the breakthrough in ourselves. We're waiting for justices to be righted. And we have not yet seen all of these things happen. But we don't wait like the world waits. We wait like Anna and Simeon, who says, I will believe you, and I will give thanks even before the fulfillment comes. I will give Eucharisteo. We do this, Lord, in remembrance of you, of your coming, of your laying down of your life, and of the redemption of Jerusalem and all people. We remember you, Lord Jesus. We remember your broken body, and we say thank you. Let's take together. We remember the blood you shed for us, the blood that redeemed us back into your family when we had nowhere else to go, the blood that continues to redeem all those who will have you. We will not forget. We will hold on to your promise, and we will say thank you, Eucharisteo. My friends, that is what Christmas is all about. You know, they say it's better to give than to receive, and that's true, except in this one case. In this one instance, my friends, it is very, very good to receive. Amen? Let's stand and sing, oh, come, let us adore him. What, or go tell it on the mountain. How about that one instead? Let's do it, and let's rejoice if you need prayer for anything, our prayer servant team's going to be right out here. Let's rejoice together and have a wonderful week afterward. You'll tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Christ is born.
Yes? Hallelujah. If you need prayer, the prayer servant team is on their way up. I also want to make you aware there is an extraordinary amount of food on tables on the back, right to the left of the Christmas tree as you walk out. It is all free. Um, that's been given to us from the gleaners. So if you need that for yourself, please take it. Or if you know of somebody who needs it, take it and give it to them. Be blessed. Merry Christmas. We love you. <laughs>